Thank you, Chris. Let's pray together. Father, thank you uh, for this morning. Um, Thank you for your word. Thank you that it speaks to all of our life, and in particular, this passage speaks to our relationships. And so, Lord, we pray that um, you would convict us where needed, that you would spur us on and encourage us where also needed, and that we might hear your word and live it out for your glory. Would you take just a moment right where you're seated to ask the Lord to speak to you from his word? Lord, thanks for your faithfulness. Thanks for giving us your word that speaks to us. May, you, may we hear, have ears to hear and eyes to see what you want us to see today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, good morning. It is uh, great to be together this morning. Great to worship the Lord with one another. It's uh, good to see you guys. Uh, and it is uh, just a, a great morning to, to celebrate the goodness of God. Uh, in so many ways, in so many things that he's done. Uh, over the last number of months, if you've been with us, we've been walking through the book of Romans. Uh, and we've come to chapter 12 of, of Romans, which is a shift and kind of a new set of what the rest of the book looks like. And, and Romans 12 starts like this. It says, by the mercies of God, by all the things that God has done, all the things that we have looked at in Romans 1 through 11, the truth of the gospel, because of what is true of us, By the mercies of God, may we present our bodies as a living sacrifice. The invitation, the call is to surrender all of our lives to him, to put all of our lives on the altar and to be a living, surrendered sacrifice to the Lord. And as Romans 12 goes on, it then engages, as we just heard read by Chris, into our relationships. And we need this. We know, all of us know, the relationships are hard. They're, they're difficult, they're, they're challenging, and we need passages like this that give us uh, wisdom on how to navigate these kinds of relationships. And we were talking as a staff about this passage, and we said, this is one of those passages, like verse 9 through 16, you could read it every day. And you could reflect on maybe one of those lines. I mean, there's just, it's, you know, command after command after command, just telling us how to live in relationship. And for us to, to reflect on this, and that's what I want us to do today, is to reflect on this, because there may be, for many of us, challenges with this. Maybe it's, challenge, it's a challenge to say, how do, I, how do I love that person who's really hard to love? Or, or how do I honor someone who, who honestly kind of acts dishonorably? Or, or how do I live in harmony with all? To live at peace with those who maybe we don't naturally harmonize with. The reality is we need this scripture. We need these lines as a way of understanding how does the gospel, God's love for us, reflect into our relationships. Again, it all comes back to the, by the mercies of God. Because of what God has done for us, now we live this out. And we need to see this as a reflection of God's love for us so that we can actually live this way with one another. Now, the language here in this is, it's, this word love here is the, uh, you know, that you've probably heard before, there's several words for love in Greek. And this is the word phileo, or brotherly love. So it's talking about a quality of love. It's talking about a quality of, of our relationships, of our friendships, of our relationships at church, our relationships at work. It's talking about a quality of that. And in many ways, it's talking about friendship. What does friendship in the gospel look like? And it looks like these these qualities that he says. Now, we have a crisis uh, in our world, and this is not going to surprise us, um, but this is one study I I read um, from a couple years ago. It says, the number of both men and women who claim to have no close friends, zero, no 
close friends, has increased fivefold over the last 30 years. For men, the rate of friendlessness, zero, has gone from 3% to 15% in the last, in the last 30 years. And for women, from 2% to 10%. This is this same study said the pattern is the same on the high end with the percentage of men saying they have 10 or more friends dropping from 40% to 15%. The same thing with women, it drops from 28% to 11%. As a culture, we have seemingly lost the art for cultivating healthy and life-giving relationships and friendships. But as Christians... As those who respond to the goodness of the gospel, as those who respond to the love and the mercy that we've just sung about, we have to be intentional and we have to fight for these kinds of relationships, this quality of relationship. And so let's look at it. Let's continue to look at it. And I just want to walk through each of these. And like I said, you could read this passage every day, but what I want to invite us to do today is just to walk through this. And there may be one or two of these words or phrases that stick out for you. And I want you to reflect on that as you think about your relationships with other people. So let's start with uh, verse 9. It says, let love be genuine. That's where it starts. This word genuine is just the word unhypocritical. We probably know again from uh, Greek uh, um, plays, you put the mask on. That's how they did the plays, right? So the idea of unhypocritical is taking the mask off. And so let love be genuine means We're taking the mask off that we so often put on to try to see if maybe someone will love that mask. That's why we put it on. We put it on because we think that mask is more lovable, that that person will accept or will love or will honor that person with the mask on. And so we put the mask on as a way of hiding. He says, take the mask off. Let love be genuine, unhypocritical. Another word for this would just be intimacy or vulnerable. The word vulnerable has its roots from this idea of taking the shield and moving it out of the way. And the reason we don't do that is because if we move the shield out of the way, the arrows can come, right? There's risk in being vulnerable and being genuine. There's risk of being hurt. And for many of us, what we've done is we've not let love be genuine. We've instead put the shield up, put the mask on, pick whatever metaphor you want. And we've tried to keep people away. And we're not truly loving one another or receiving love genuinely. This is especially hard in in a culture that just lives in this social insecurity. Uh, Another author said this, he says, um, in the age of social media, I've read this before, but I I think this quote is so interesting. Uh, In the age of social media, he calls it our sociometers, which is the antenna we use to measure how other people are seeing us. He says, they're up and they're on high alert at all times. Am I liked? Am I affirmed? Why do I feel invisible? We see ourselves in how we think others see us. Their snarkiness turns into my self-doubt. Their criticism turns into my shame. Their obliviousness into my humiliation. He says, danger is ever present. He says, for many people, it's impossible to think without simultaneously thinking about what other people would think about what you're thinking. This is the world we live in. You can't even think without thinking about what other people are thinking. I can't even say that again if I tried. He says, this is exhausting and deeply unsatisfying. He says, as long as your self-conception is tied up in your perception of other people's conception of you, you'll never be free to occupy a personality with confidence. You're always at the, at the mercy of the next person's dim opinion of you. We say that's really sad, and yet we also recognize that it's real. Even if we don't have a 
social media presence or that is in our life. This is the reality that we live in. We have a crisis because we want to put up the mask. We want to put up the shield. But what Paul starts with, he says, let love be genuine, unhypocritical, far less concerned with what other people think about us, far less concerned about the perception or what, uh, and, and, and people pleasing, because what we think people pleasing is, is loving, but it's actually not. It's actually working. It's putting on a mask. It's trying to please that person as opposed to letting love be genuine with the mask down. For some of us, this is maybe where we start today. Some of us are like, okay, I can, I can go now. I don't need to read the rest of the passage. I just need to work on this idea of taking the mask down and letting love be genuine. He goes on, verse nine, he says, hate what is evil or abhor what is evil, which is hate. Hold fast to what is good. The first word about this love is it's genuine. The second word is good. And that may seem obvious to us at first, like, well, of course this is good. But it isn't always obvious to our understanding of our love. Uh, This phrase, hate the things that God hates, is is a helpful phrase, right? Hate the things that God calls evil. But in our culture right now, we have this tendency to actually take what God hates or take what is detestable and call it good. And I think we're probably all aware that we have a general sort of okayness with evil. And it's, we're desensitized to it. And because of that, I so wonder, often wonder if that's what snuffs out the voice of the Holy Spirit. We are just so comfortable with darkness, with consuming darkness, and actually calling it good. But what does it mean to hate what is evil and love what is good in the context of our relationships. Culturally, we tend to be all about love as long as we're not imposing our definition of right and wrong on someone else. And yet, you see here, love is connected to good and evil. That to truly love someone is actually to love good and hate what is evil. We need to do this. In fact, in in the context of relationships, that means that we hate the things that ruin relationships. Things like, Lust and gossip and racism and envy and betrayal and animosity and division. We could just keep going. We hate the things that God calls evil that are destroying relationships. And at the same time, we hold fast. Hold fast is this word, which means sort of like be glued to what is good. Being so connected to what is good, to love what is good, that every single person, no matter who we interact with, it has value because they're made in the image of God. And we hold fast that that we can give every single person, whoever they are, the love that has come, that we've received from God as we give it to those around us. And we hold fast to truth. There's a tendency to think that love and truth are at odds with each other. But as Paul says elsewhere, we speak the truth in love. And as we do those things together, we actually are loving what is good, hating what is evil, and letting love be genuine. And there's a tendency, I think, for us to to just not ruffle any feathers, to not have any sort of short-term uncomfort that actually might lead to long-term joy or flourishing. And is that really loving? For some of us, we may just need to say here and say, what does it mean and what does God want me to do with this? Like speaking truth and love, like, like stopping and saying, do I love what is good and hate what is evil so that I can truly be free to love one another? This kind of love is it's genuine. It's good. It's also honoring. Look at verse 10. I love verse 10. I love all of this, but uh, love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing 
honor. Outdo one another in showing honor. Honor is this, obviously we know this word, it means precious or valuable or pricey. To live in such a way that speaks dignity over people, that, that we speak it and that we show it with, our, with the way we interact with one another, that we're outdoing one another in showing honor. Honoring someone is, is treating them as worthy of your service and worthy of the words spoken over them that are true of them. And showing honor isn't always necessarily linked with someone acting honorably. And this is challenging for us. We really love it when, when it goes together, right? Someone has acted honorably and they become honored for what they have done. We love that, as we should. Uh, our, our family has been really engaged. We have a high school at Lake Highlands High School and we've been really engaged in the, in the basketball team this year, which is the number one team in the state. They won the championship last night, state championship, which was a lot of fun. Um, and so, but one of the things that's been really interesting, I've loved watching them and they are a great team. They're worthy of honor because they have, we have one, the number one junior in the nation. And so every time you go to a game, there is, you know, coaches from all the big schools like Baylor, of course, Baylor, Sikkim. And uh, from, from, you have all these NBA scouts who are there. I mean, it is incredible to be there. And this kid is 17 and he has a following. He's getting interviewed after every game. And yet after every single game, he walks over to the, to the, the line of kids waiting for his signature, including my son who got right here signed. I don't know what that's going to do. I was like, you signed it, your hand? Okay. Um, but he will take time and he will pass this honor that he's receiving on to these kids. They don't deserve it in a sense, right? They, they're not the ones who played the game, but he's willing to stop and pause and see these kids and honor them and take a picture with them. And that's been so impressive uh, for me as a parent to watch this. You see, because honor someone is not necessarily because they deserve that honor, because sometimes our honoring, outdoing one another and showing honor involves grace and mercy of saying, I'm going to ascribe worth to people. I'm going to speak dignity to that person, claim God's love for that person, even when they're not acting honorably. And Paul sets it up almost like a competition. Outdo one another in showing honor. This is how you win. You show honor more. Continue to show, more, show honor. So it's genuine it's good. It's honoring. That may be for some of us right now where we just say, I, I need to think through who do I need to show honor to in my world? Or in what way do I need to honor them? Next, it's patient. It's patient in messy community. Look at verse 11. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in, in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Now, here's what I love about this relationship. Paul is not unrealistic here. He knows that relationships are hard. Relationships are messy. And he says, serve them as you serve the Lord. Again, in response to what God has done. He says, rejoice in hope. When there's hope, rejoice. Even if it's a little bit of hope, rejoice. Be patient in tribulation. I love that phrase. Because in the midst of tribulation, in the midst of trial, in the midst of challenges, it is, it is hard to be patient with someone. But to stay in the game and be patient and not to assume that somebody's, you know, process as they're walking through a challenge is going to look just like this. That's kind of how we want it to look. It's more like this. It's like a zigzag all over the place. But we are, we're patient with people. And even as an aside, when we are suffering, when we're walking through tribulation, every single time the temptation is to isolate to move away from community, move away from the church, move away from friendships, but don't do it. Get engaged, stay in, let love be vulnerable. Take down the mask because that's what we're called to do is to be patient in tribulation. He goes on to say, be constant in prayer. 
how often do we think about this in the context of our relationships? To be constant in prayer. What about our hearts? When we pray for someone who maybe has hurt us, someone who's betrayed us, someone who's criticized us, maybe it's a long-standing thing, maybe it's this week. But our hearts change when we begin to pray for them. And we pray, and that may just be for some of us, that's it today. Like, you know what, there's somebody I need to pray for. I'm gonna start there. I've been talking about them. I've been saying bad things about them. I've been, you know, uh, venting about them. I need to pray for them. He says, be constant in prayer. I don't want us to miss that. The importance of prayer in the context of our relationships. Paul is realistic that loving people is messy. It's gonna take perseverance. He says, be zealous to do this. It takes time and it's hard. Be constant in prayer and be patient in tribulation. He goes on, it's not only genuine and good and honoring and patient, but it's also sacrificing. Look at verse 13. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Now, here's the idea. If you have something, share it. That's all Paul's saying. Contribute to the needs of the saints. Those who are in need, share it. If someone needs time, if someone needs emotional support, if someone needs money, if someone needs resources, share it. Be generous with that and share what God has given you. And then he says, seek to show hospitality. The language here is really interesting. It's very intense. It's like be diligent to show hospitality. Now we think of hospitality as only meaning, you know, sort of having your home looking great. And, and, and when people walk in that they feel welcome there, but that is, that's part of it. But what hospitality, the larger picture of hospitality is this gift of not only people being at home and your home, but at home in your person. That there's a safety, there's a warmth, there's a connection that when people are with you that they can, they feel at home. They feel safe. They feel like they can be open. Let love be genuine. You seek, be diligent to show hospitality, to sacrifice for one another. He goes on to say in uh, verse 14, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. And I put all of that, again, if you're going to categorize it, I put all of it under the idea of being sacrificing, sacrificial. Why? Because the reality is it's far easier to do the opposite of each one of those. To do the opposite of each one of those. Bless those who persecute you? That's not what we do. It's far easier to curse those who persecute you. Speak ill of them. Wish them harm. Wish that things will not go well for them and and to curse them. But instead, again, like praying for them, blessing them. Speaking blessing over someone who persecutes you or hurts you, that's sacrifice. It's a sacrifice of emotion the sacrifice of our hearts to say, this matters. And in my own heart, at least, I'm going to bless that person. It's also far easier just to stay stuck in our own circumstances. You want me to rejoice with you while you rejoice? I'm suffering. I can't rejoice. I'm so jealous of, you, of all the things that are going well. I can't rejoice with you. Or you want me to cry with you who cry, you weep with you who weep? No, no, I've got my own thing going on. This is a sacrifice say, I rejoice with those who rejoice and I weep with those who weep. I take, I get outside of my own circumstances and I engage with other people in what they're doing, whether they're weeping or they're rejoicing. It's again, a sacrifice of time. It's a sacrifice of emotions. It's putting others' needs above our own. It takes 
Sacrifice. To intentionally live in harmony, especially with those who we don't naturally harmonize with. It takes work. It takes sacrifice to engage that relationship. Uh, You know, and I say this recognizing that there are lots of difficult relationships out there. But just because someone is difficult, just because someone is difficult doesn't necessarily mean that we're not called to love them and sacrifice them, sacrifice for them. There's wisdom. There's times where we say, I need to, to put up some walls. But at the same time, we are called to love them. It takes sacrifice to associate with the lowly. Whatever that means for us, wherever, whatever the lowly are, it takes sacrifice to get out of our own little world and to engage with the lowly. It takes sacrifice not to be wise in our own sight. It takes sacrifice not to say, I'm so committed to being right that I'm keeping me from loving someone. It's good to be right and to have truth, but at the same time, that, that cannot keep us from loving or engaging someone. And so maybe for us, the question is, what, what do we need to sacrifice? How do we need to love sacrificially, to give up something that we have so that we can show love to another. This is the quality of love that Paul's talking about. It's genuine. It's good. It's honoring. It's patient. And it's sacrificing. Like I said in the beginning, we could read this every single day, each of these sentences and say, what am I doing on this? What do I need to reflect on here? But the reality is, like I said in the beginning, this must be a response to the gospel. Because if it's not a response to the gospel, our love will fall short time and time again. Because the, rea- the reality is, if we, are not so, uh, no, if we do not know the pursuing unconditional love of God, then we will be so preoccupied with making up for the deficiencies of honor, of love, of approval that we tend to feel. We won't be able to love anyone else. We'll be so wrought with envy and comparison and jealousy. We'll be marked by people pleasing and avoiding conflict. Our love will not be genuine. We'll just keep putting the mask on. But when we receive the love of God, when we recognize what, the, what is true of us in the gospel, as we've just sang and as we have seen over and over and over again every single week, what is true of God's love for us, because his love, just follow me here, is incredibly genuine. He knows us. He knows us without the mask. He knows us perfectly. And yet he has set his love upon us. His love is good, that he works all things for the good of those who are called according to his purpose and who love God. He works all things to things that we may not really fully even understand as good or call good, but God is working it for his good in our life. His love is good. His love is honoring. He was willing to be dishonored and spat upon and mocked and murdered so that we could receive the honor of being called children of God. His love is patient. As we sang, his patience (laughs) when we wander, when we go and worship something else, his love is patient as he draws us back to himself. And his love is sacrificing. That Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin on our behalf 
so that we might become the righteousness of God. He gave up his life to give us everything. As we receive that love, as we just continue to peel back the onion of understanding his love for us, we then can reflect that love out. We're free to give it away to those around us. We've been invited into this relationship with him. The gospel knows no uh, stopping at that. We have a relationship with him that then leads into how we live our life and how we love one another. And so we say, let our love be genuine. Let it be good. Let it be honoring. Let it be patient. And let it be sacrificing. Because we have received it. May we reflect it to those around us. Let's pray. Father, as we reflect on um, your love for us and then our love for those around us, as we prepare our hearts for communion, we want to take a moment to reflect and to repent with recognition that any one of these lines that Paul wrote about what your love looks like for one another convict us of how we fall short. And as we sit and prepare our hearts for communion, I just want to ask two questions for us to reflect on. One, um, which of these attributes of Jesus' love do we need to receive today? Genuine, good, honoring, patient, sacrificing. And secondly, which of these attributes of God's love do we need to reflect to others? Let the Lord lead you in that. To step out and to be faithful, to let the gospel love that we've received be spread to those around us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.